are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, today uh, we are privileged to have one of my friends here with us to share the word, Pastor Jake. Um, Pastor Jake was on staff at Itown Church in Fishers, Indiana, one of the fastest growing churches in our state and maybe in the United States, and uh, connected with Pastor Jake about four, four and a half years ago, I think. And um, started attending I-Town and just learning from them. And uh, Jake was a connection for me and really a blessing to our church. Many of the things you see here, we learned from him. He was the executive pastor there for many years, serving under Pastor Dave Summerall at I-Town Church. And um, he since, him and his wife, uh, Cassie and their family, have since stepped out. And they're getting ready. There's their family. Oh, beautiful. Three boys. Oh, Lord, we praying for you. We praying for you. They recently moved to a brand new city to launch a brand new church. Yeah. And I'm so excited that we get a partner with so many churches being planted. You give thousands of dollars every year out of the missions. If you support our mission work, part of that money goes towards planting churches. But today we get to hear from a friend who's getting ready to plant a church in September, and we get to be a part of this journey with them. And I'm so excited that in September of 2019, Comeback City Church is coming to Detroit, Michigan. Come on, somebody. Detroit. He just got his first member. His name is Eminem. We're praying for him that he gets saved and starts tithing. Amen. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to let him talk about his wife and his family and all that. But he's been a huge blessing to my life. Um, man, every time I call, every time I text, he's there to help me navigate, answer questions. And, and uh, just such a blessing to the body of Christ. I know you're going to be blessed by the word today, so I want to encourage you to lean in and uh, stand on your feet and put your hands together, if you would, for my friend, our friend, Pastor Jake Baird. Come on, give it up. Come on, guys, give Jesus a bigger hand. Come on, if you love Jesus, give him praise. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. You may be seated. Wow, Fuel Church. Thank you guys for welcoming me and my family like that. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, I just, I've got a message that the Lord's put on my heart. I'm excited to share it with you, and I think it's for you. It's a new message. But before I get into all that, man, I, I just have to tell you that uh, what's happening here at Fuel Church is nothing short of a miracle. Like most of you probably aren't, are not church nerds like me, but I study church statistics and you probably don't know this, but the average church size in America is about 90 people. And so what God is doing through you guys here at Fuel Church is phenomenal. And really people all over the state and in different pockets of the nation are hearing about what you guys are doing. And to see 
Christmas services like you just had and hundreds of people come to know Christ, I'm telling you, you guys are making a difference. The way you serve, the way you give, the way you invite people, it truly is making a difference. So thank you for being so welcoming. And if you're new here, you need to know that Fuel Church is a safe place. It's a safe place where you're going to find a family. Just even since my wife and I have been here this morning, we've heard so many stories of of life change that have happened in this place. So whatever you're walking through, man, you're going to find a family here. And I just want to take a moment just to honor your pastors, Pastor Jacob and his team. They've been, uh, Jacob especially, has been an incredible friend to me over these four years. And and one of the things I love about Jacob is he's just like a breath of fresh air whenever he walks into a room, isn't he? He's just witty and funny and great to be around. And But one of the things that I've noticed about him is that whenever he starts to talk about you guys, it's like something shifts in the atmosphere. You can just tell how much he loves you, how much he cares about you guys, and just pours out his heart and his life for you. And so I'm telling you, you guys have a great leader, and you have great leadership here. So can we just honor them this morning? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Great, great pastor and a great church. So I'm happy to be here with you guys today. And as Jacob said, my family and I, we have moved from our hometown, Indianapolis, to Detroit, Michigan, to plant a church. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we got there before I get into the message. And because it's really interesting, my wife and I were born and raised in Indianapolis. I mean, this is our hometown. And we were at a really great church, and we just really had everything going for us, man. We were kind of living at uh, the peak of what you would call success, I guess. We were leading at a very high level in a fast-growing church. We had just built a brand-new home in Noblesville, our dream home. Our kids were in private school, and, man, life on the surface just looked like it was going really, really well. But uh, around January of this past year, we just started to get real discontent, and we couldn't figure out why. Like we just got really uncomfortable And uh, we began talking to our pastor about it, and it became really clear that it was time for us to move on to our next season and plant a church. And so we made the decision to plant, but we didn't know where we were going to go. Like, has God ever told you to do something but then gave you no details? (laughs) That's a scary place to be. So we made the decision to leave our home church and go plant, but we didn't know where we were going to go. And so I talked to my pastor about it, and Pastor Dave said, Jake, that's easy. All you need to do is you just, you and your wife, Cassie, sit down and make a list of every place you'd ever want to live and then go visit those communities. And when you fall in love with a city and you fall in love with the people, that's where you're called to go. That's how God sends church planners. So I said, great. So my wife and I are thinking sunshine, beach, maybe an island. You know, we get to pick anywhere. We're just going to suffer for Jesus in the ocean, right? Love you, Lord. It's hard work. So before we even got to write anything down on a list, we were praying, and about six days later, I'll never forget, my wife and I were getting ready for a wedding, and I turned to her and I said, babe, I don't know exactly where the city is, but the picture that I'm getting is that it's, um, it's like a blue-collar, just kind of gritty, rough, difficult city with a people that have been through a lot but are prideful about their community. And she said, you know, those words kind of speak to me too. I feel like that's going to be the dynamic of our city. And so I turned around her a few seconds later and I said, babe, I think it might be Detroit. 
And she said, I just got goosebumps. I think it's Detroit too. And from that moment on, every time we would see Detroit or hear people talk about Detroit, our hearts would just flutter a little bit. And now you got, I'm, I'm born and raised in Indianapolis, okay? So I bleed blue. We'll pray, we'll pray for the Colts here before we leave. Don't you worry. But you know God has done super, something supernatural in your heart if you become a Detroit Pistons and a Detroit Lions fan. Come on, somebody. All right. Let me tell you why. Because in the Rust Belt where we live now, you know, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Toledo, all the manufacturing, kind of the hub of America, they have a saying in the Rust Belt when it comes to sports, and it's this. Hey, at least we're not Detroit. <laughs> all right. But I don't care, man. We love the city. We love the people. We're praying for Eminem and Kid Rock. And we're just loving the city. Loving the city. And it really is incredible because my wife and I, we bought a house about 10 miles south of Detroit. And as we're in the community and we watch uh, where they go to school and how hard life is and the swing shifts that they work and, and the vehicles that they drive and the way that they raise their kids. And, and as we just watch the community, man, we just love it. We just love, we love the people. We love everything about it. And one of the things that I love about this church planting journey, we're in the process of like raising our team and kind of assembling our team so that we can launch our church to the public in September. And so I'm just out in the community, like visiting restaurants, driving the streets, you know, trying to get our bearings straight about where we live and just trying to see the culture. And so I've developed the spiritual gift of eavesdropping. So like I'll go into a restaurant and just like pretend like I'm on my phone, but just listen to everybody's conversation. Some of y'all have that gift. Some of y'all have that spiritual gift, right? And I'm just trying to pick up on what's happening. And um, a few months ago, I was in a shopping center just kind of seeing the people and watching and sat down on a bench for a moment just to take a break. And around the corner came this little old man. His name was Bill. And uh, Bill kind of looks like if... If Santa Claus joined a biker gang, that's what Bill would look like. All right. <laughs> Got the long white beard and had leather, leather chaps and leather jacket. And man, he just sat down next to me and he and I just struck up a conversation. It was just easy. And he began telling me about his life and showing me pictures on his phone about his, his house and different things he's been doing. And, and we just built this conversation and spent about an hour talking together and come to find out. Uh, Bill had a really difficult life. Bill was a, a Vietnam veteran, and he was married once. And 12 years into his marriage, he woke up and discovered that his wife and his two kids were just gone. They were gone. And this was before cell phones and internet and all of that. And so a few days later, he gets a call from his wife, and she says, I'm in Massachusetts with the kids, and I'm divorcing you. You won't see me again. And since that phone call, Bill has never seen his wife, never seen his daughter, and he's just recently begun to reconnect with his adult son. And Bill lives in a part of Detroit called Lincoln Park, which is not a good area, but he's lived in his home all by himself with no friends or no family ever since that event for decades. And I found out that Bill frequents the shopping center I was at just so that he can be around other human beings. And so Bill and I have developed a friendship and I'll call him each week and I'll take him out to breakfast or lunch once a week. And anytime I hang out with Bill, it's like a four, it's like a four hour ordeal, right? Cause he wants me to come over and play chess and hang out. And, and, uh, and so I know that Bill just needs to be with somebody. 
And it's been amazing to be a friend to Bill. And I tell you that not to pat myself on the back, but I tell you that because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that if God, God called our family and the families that are coming with us to pack up everything that we love and leave our homeland to go to Detroit, if we did it all just for Bill, it would be worth it. It would be worth it. And I wonder, yep. It would be worth it. And I wonder how many bills are in Detroit in our community and how many bills are in your community that need a touch from Jesus this year. And as you guys, as a body of Christ, as you serve and step out of your comfort zone to find the bills, I'm just telling you, you touch the heart of God. Something supernatural happens in your life because God's looking down from heaven. I believe every single Sunday and he's asking Christians, what about Bill? Who's going to help me find Bill? So we get to be a part of that search and rescue mission. And what I've discovered about building this friendship with Bill is really a little bit of of what I want to talk to you about today. Because as I've got to know Bill, I've begun to realize some things about myself and some things about Bill. And the reality is that many of us oftentimes like to say that people are looking for God. But I've come to find out that humans are really a lot more selfish than we think. Oftentimes, we're not really looking for God. You see, lost people, they're looking for something else. What lost people are looking for is a better life. When they come into a church, they're not necessarily saying, is God here? What they're saying is, is there life here? Is there, do these people have life? Is there a better life here? Because I'm stuck in my addiction or I don't have any purpose in my life and I'm not liking the way that it's going. So maybe these people have a better life. Maybe the way they're living life is the way I should live life. And then the beauty is when we show people the life that Jesus paid for us to have, they find God. They find Jesus. And so I want to talk to you today on the topic of living the abundant life. Living the abundant life. Jacob stole my line. I believe that 2019 can be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. And so there's some things that we need to do this year to prepare ourselves if we want to live the abundant life that God called us to live. Because listen, if your life is not full of joy and excitement and adventure, then you're not living the life Jesus paid for you to have. And what I'm not saying to you is that life won't come with trouble because it will. Jesus promised that. But you can have this supernatural joy and sense of wonder and adventure in your life, even in the midst of the pain. It's the life Jesus paid for you to have. And I'm going to share a scripture with you here in just a moment. It'll be our foundational scripture out of John. But let me set it up for you. If you look all throughout scripture, the story of mankind is actually quite simple. God wanted a family, so he created man and woman, and a place for them to live in. And then if you read the story in Genesis, once God made Adam from the dust of the earth, the Bible says that he breathed the breath of life into him. He breathed life into man's bones and his nostrils. And then he said to him this, he said, I'm giving you life. Now you're in charge of life and all life that exists. Go do something with it. And so man had this wonderful life and this, this, this adventure and this sense of excitement as he walked with God in the garden. But then you guys know the story. The devil crept in like a serpent and he crept in. And he said, do you really have life? Is that really the best life? And he convinced Eve and Adam to give him their life 
And ever since the devil took the life for thousands of years, he was tormenting every person that would ever live life. Distress entered the world. Depression entered the world. Anxiety entered the world. Death entered the world. And Satan was in charge of life, and he just crushed every person that experienced life. And so when Jesus came, he came for one thing. And oftentimes we as Christians, we, we say things that are true that, you know, Jesus came to free us from sin. That's true. Jesus came to die for us. That's true. He did. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. Yes, he is. That's exactly what he came to do. But if you ask Jesus what he came for, it's almost like he was obsessing over this one thing. He said, look, the one thing I've come to give you is to give you your life back. I've come to give you your life back. And when Jesus died and he rose again, he took back that life that the devil had. And now it's like he's in heaven screaming at every single one of us saying, come on, I have the life that you're looking for. Just come to me. Life is here. You can have life. It's right here. What you're looking for is in me. You remember Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through me. Some people don't like that scripture because they think Jesus was being exclusive. He wasn't being exclusive. He was just being real. He was saying, there is nobody else that's coming for you. There is no other religion. There is no other God. I'm the only one. If you want life, you got to come through me. You got to come through me. I'm the life. The thing that sets Christianity that makes Christianity different than any other religion is that every other religion can give you rules and regulations, but they cannot give you life. Only Jesus can give you life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus was talking to a group of religious leaders and he reminds them of the story in Genesis. He says, the thief talking about Satan, the thief comes only to steal your life, kill your life and destroy it. But I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. That word life that Jesus used there is a Greek word, Zoe. It's a popular name now that we give some of our children, right? Zoe. It's actually pronounced Zoe, Z-O-E. And that Greek word is, is probably best described with a picture. It wasn't just an existence. It wasn't just a life. What Jesus was communicating to his listeners was something totally different. And they would have heard something like this. When he said, I've come to give you life, they would have pictured like a Saturday morning on a playground with kids laughing and playing and enjoying themselves. And when kids are out there on a playground, just laughing and running around and swinging and tagging and creating new games, man, all the cares in the world just disappear. They're just loving life. They're just living in that moment, enjoying life. That's what Jesus said. He said, listen, I know you're stuck in religion. I know life isn't what you thought it would be. I know this isn't the life you want to live. I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. It can only be found in Jesus. So here's the tension that I want to wrestle with over the next few minutes. Even as believers, those of us who have accepted Jesus... Sometimes we still find ourselves in a place where we're not living this kind of life that I'm describing. I know I find myself there. It's like we know this, but there's still this tension that we wrestle with. Jesus came to give me life. Why am I not experiencing the life that he wants me to live? Well, I believe there's three things that creep into our life. And if, if we're not careful, they do steal the abundant life that God has for us. So I want to give them to you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to figure out what the Bible says about how to resolve these three things. And if we do these three things, 2019 can be your best year ever because it'll be your best year spiritually. Amen, everybody. 
Three things that creep into our life, that suck this life out of us. The first one is we have worries that scare us. Worries that scare us. This is so true. It's like, if you're like me, um, if I'm, a, if I'm having like a really good time or maybe I'm in a good worship moment like I, like I was here just a few minutes ago and you're just worshiping God or you're just having a good time and you're experiencing peace. If you're like me, I'm, I'm kind of a worrier. So if I'm experiencing peace and I'm not worrying about something, I start asking myself, wait a minute, isn't there something I should be worrying about right now? Like there's gotta be something. There's gotta be some bill that needs to be paid or something. And I start to create worry in my own mind. Am I the only one, right? Like we we just, we've got these worries that scare us. We're afraid about what tomorrow is going to hold or afraid about if that relationship's going to work out or if that job's going to work out. We've got these worries that scare us and they just suck the life out of us. The second thing, this is a tough one. We have people who hurt us. People who hurt us. Man, I'm a firm believer that life would be amazing if there were no people, right? Come on, can I just be honest in church? <laughs> but you know, the, the reality is, that if somebody's not close enough to hurt you, they're really not close enough to love you. And loving takes risks. And if you've been hurt by somebody, don't let that be a reason not to love again. You'll never experience the life God called you to live if you don't embrace loving relationships. And we're going to talk about this. So we've got worries that scare us, people who hurt us. The third one is we have a life without purpose. We're living in existence, but we really don't have a dream or a vision for our life. Or maybe the job we're working at just feels like it's a dead-end job, and I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over again and not really making an impact in the world around me. So I don't feel like my life has purpose. These can be life suckers. They just keep us from living the abundant life. Well, I want to help us with this. And so I'm going to give you three things, and you can jot these down as we're taking notes Together, If we're going to live the abundant life, the first thing that we have to do is we have to pray about everything. Jot that down. We have to pray about everything. Now, I get it. This sounds like an easy Christian answer, right? But let me help you with this. I had a revelation about what prayer is by the Lord helping me see what prayer is not. Prayer is not me telling God what I need. Prayer is me reminding myself that I need God. Prayer is not me telling God all the needs that I have. It's me reminding myself that I need God. Because see, when we pray and we bring our problems and our worries and our anxieties to God, and we say, God, I'm fearful about this. I don't know how we're going to get by. I don't know if my job's going to last. I don't know if my, my child's going to come back home. Or I don't know if my friend's going to break that addiction. When we bring those fears to God, what happens is our fears and our worries get smaller and God gets bigger again. Because you know how it is. You wake up in the morning and there's like a million little voices in your ear. And I got three kids, so sometimes there are, there are three really strong voices, right? But there's all these voices just tugging on you, like, you got that meeting coming up. You know you don't want to see that person. How are you going to pay those bills? Oh, my gosh, look what's happening on social media. The government's shut down. Oh, my gosh, the world's collapsing. It's just like everything just starts overwhelming you. And, and you know what I found is that in those mornings where I just let those things fester and lay in bed and think about it, it becomes a really rough day. 
But as soon as I wake up, if I shut those voices out and I start talking to God, God, thank you for this day. And thank you for the good things that you've given me. And Lord, I am worried about that meeting. And you know what? I am afraid that that friend won't get out of their addiction. But Lord, I know you're bigger and I know you're stronger. So I'm bringing my worries to you. And I know that with with your name, under your name, we can accomplish anything. God, I thank you that you give me power and strength today. And then I open up his word and I start to read his word. You know what happens? God's voice becomes louder and all those other voices become silent. And you have hope again and you have strength again. So we got to pray about everything. Yeah, we can give God praise. Got to pray about it. So prayer is not me reminding God what I need. It's reminding myself that I need God. And Paul, I love Paul because Paul was a church planner, so I can really relate to him. And Paul wrote most of our New Testament. And what he would do is he would plant churches and then write letters back to those churches. And that's where we get much of the New Testament. One of the books of the New Testament is called Philippians. And this is a letter he wrote back to the church in Philippians and Philippi. And he was telling them how to live their life. And he said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then check this out. Then you will experience God's peace. It's like he gave us the secret to experiencing peace. It's not to worry. Listen, when you get overwhelmed with worry, you can't think yourself out of it. You're going to think yourself into a deeper and deeper hole. But when you bring your worry and your anxiety to God, we experience his peace. We experience his peace. And then he goes on to say this. This peace surpasses any understanding. And I love this part. His peace will, do, will guard two things. It will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. When you bring your anxieties to God, it will guard, you'll have this peace, and it will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind. That means two things. It will guard that center of you that creates panic and anxiety and worry. Y'all know how it is. When you start to panic about something, it's like you can feel it in your bones. It becomes like a, phys- it's like a physical, tangible thing. And he says, if you want to get rid of that, if you want to guard against that, you got to have this peace. And this peace comes by bringing your cares to God. It'll guard your heart, but it'll also guard your mind. And check this out. Your mind is your perspective, the way you see the world. His peace will begin to shape the way that you see the world. It'll change things. You'll have hope again. You'll have life again. So if we're going to live the abundant life that God called us to live, we don't have to live with these worries that scare us. We just have to pray about everything. The second life sucker that we have is people who hurt us. So what do we do here? Number two, jot this down. We have to practice serving others. This is a tough one because I know how hard it can be to serve people, especially when they've hurt you or when you're hurt. But what I've discovered is that when I'm having my worst day, the easiest way to get over it is to find somebody else having their worst day and go bless them and do something for them. There's something supernatural that's released when you bless other people. We've got to serve other people. And and Jesus knew this better than anybody. I want to share a story with you from Mark where Jesus was having a very difficult time but he chose to serve people and he taught us a very important principle that will apply to your life. And in Mark chapter six, what has happened here to Jesus has been devastating. It would be devastating to any one of us. He had just gone to his hometown to try to heal people and love people and free people. And his own family literally drove him out of his town, making fun of him and telling him that he wasn't who he said he was. So he's been completely rejected by his family. And then he gets news that, One of the emperors 
killed one of his best friends. John the Baptist had just been killed and murdered. So he's been rejected by his family. One of his best friends has been murdered and his whole ministry team is gone because they're out on a missionary journey that he sent him on, sent them on. So he's got nobody to confide in. So he's tired and he's lonely and he's hurt. And he probably doesn't want to be around any other human being because every human being that was supposed to love him is either gone or has hurt him. And so his ministry team comes back and Jesus says, hey, Man, let's just get away. Let's just go relax somewhere. It's been rough on me, rough on you. Let's just get away. And the Bible says, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But check this out. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving and followed them to where they were going. And then Jesus did something incredible. When he got to the place where he was supposed to relax, Jesus saw the huge crowd and he stepped out of the boat and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them. He began giving to them. Can you imagine how depleted Jesus was feeling? He was so depleted. And he was, as he's, I can just imagine him getting closer and closer to the shore thinking, okay, I'm going to experience some, a, little, a little bit of relaxation, a little bit of peace. If I can just make it to the shore. And then he gets there and there's people who need him. And instead of running away from the people, he begins to serve them and pour what little bit he has left into them. And he teaches us this this important principle. The easiest way to get through or past your pain is to find something bigger than your pain to live for. If If you're living a life where you're stuck in the past, the pain of the past, it's very real. And whatever's been done to you, whatever those people did to you, was wrong and it shouldn't have been done. But I'm telling you, if you want to get past your pain, you have to find something bigger than your pain to live for. And when you start living for something bigger than your pain, you find purpose and the pain doesn't seem to sting as much anymore. Some of us have been hurt by people really, really deeply. And so let me help you with something. I learned this years ago. I think it'll help you. If you've been hurt by somebody and you've been carrying that pain with you and it's been hard to resolve it, The Bible tells us we have to forgive, but let me help you understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not justifying the offense or telling them what they did to you was right, because it wasn't. What they did was wrong, and quite frankly, they deserve to pay for it. It's just not your job. Forgiveness is not telling them it was okay, and it's not giving them permission to do it again. Forgiveness is simply bringing their balance to zero. I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. So practically what that means is every time you start getting bitter or resentful or angry when you think about that person, Jesus says every time that happens, you pray for him. You just pray for him. Lord bless him. Lord bless him. And I get it. I've got some people in my life who have hurt me deeply. And when I read, found that passage of scripture, I was like, yeah, right. I'm not praying for them. I'll pray that you rain down fire and brimstone. Come on, somebody. Yeah, let's have some Old Testament justice in here, right? Give them the sword, Lord, right? But that's not what he says. He says, pray a blessing over them. Pray for their happiness. And what I've discovered is when I pray for the happiness of those who hurt me, when I think about them, I'm not bitter or resentful anymore. And it may take some time for you, but you got to pray for their happiness. I heard it said like this once, if somebody's on your nerves, then they're not on your heart. And if you want to get them off of your nerves, you got to get them on your heart. You got to pray for him. You got to pray for him. As tough as it is, it's 
the kingdom principle that will free us from the pain. So Jesus taught us the only way to get past our pain is to find something bigger than our pain to live for. If we want to get past those people who hurt us, stop living in the past and start living for your purpose. And that brings us to point number three. We have to prepare for our purpose. We have to prepare for our purpose. We have these fears that worry us, so we got to pray. We got people who hurt us, so we have to serve. And then we've got life without purpose. And the only way that we can live the life that God called us to live is if we prepare and discover our purpose. One of the things I love about this church is that there's so many pathways for you to to discover God's dream for your life. What is God's dream for your life? What is his purpose for your life? There's something that you are destined to do. Let me say it this way. Your life was not an accident. All right, your parents may not have planned you, but God planned you. He has a plan for you. And young people, some of you are in this room today and you've got this incredible dream for your future. Don't let it die. God's given you a dream for your future. For those of you that may be in later seasons in life, maybe you had a dream once, but life just kind of sucked it out and you don't have that dream anymore. Man, I'm telling you, if there is still breath in your lungs, God still has a plan for you. And he wants to see that dream come to pass. You just got to prepare for it. You got to be ready for it. You got to not give up on it sometimes. My dad was a pastor and he used to say, sometimes you just got to tie a knot on the end of the rope and just hang on, baby. Just hang on to that dream. Don't let go. Don't let it go. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. We have to prepare for our purpose. Paul said it this way when he wrote to the church in Galatia. He was telling them to discover their purpose and find the dream that God has put in their life. Because if you do, then the body of Christ becomes this beautiful expression to the community. Just imagine if every single one of you in this place was living exactly what God had called you to do. There probably wouldn't be a single soul in Kokomo that, that didn't know the name of Jesus if we all were living out that life. So Paul said this, He's talking to the church, those of us that are believers. He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Once you find what your purpose is, pay whatever it costs to jump into that. Sacrifice whatever you need to sacrifice to jump in to that purpose. Sink yourself into it. And each of you, this is where, this is where it hits home because it's not my job as a pastor. It's not your, pa- it's not your pastor's here job to do this. This is your responsibility. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. What is the dream God put in your life? What are you destined to do? Maybe somebody lied to you and told you you'll never be anything. Oh, you, you, you want to accomplish that? That's funny. You can't do that. There's somebody bigger or somebody better that can do that. I'm here to tell you today that whatever the dream is in your heart, God's desire is to see it come to pass. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't stop serving. Don't stop looking for relationships. Don't stop getting connected. This year, 2019, can be the best year of your life if you make it the best year of your life spiritually. You know, for my wife and I, when we decided to move to Detroit, there was about four months there that was really, really hard for us before we made the decision. Like I was probably borderline depressed and couldn't figure out why. 
I thought I was living a life of purpose. I, I mean, I was a part of this church and I was serving and I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. And that served its purpose in my life. But God was doing something new in my life. I couldn't shake the feeling. I couldn't shake the anxiety. I went to see counselors and did everything that I knew to do. But it wasn't until I made a decision to change and to move that I began to experience life again. I wonder how many of you are in that transitional period right now. Where God's asking you to move. Or he's asking you to give something up. Or there's something here at Fuel Church he's asking you to be a part of. And you've been sitting on the sidelines for a while. I wonder how many of you are in this room and it's time to move. He wants you to experience the abundant life. It's available for you. It's available for you today. I'm going to pray for you. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And, And the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me in Jesus' name. It's simple as that. And I encourage you, find a good local church. If if you can get to Fuel Church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things the lives and families of the people that come here, but find a good church where you can grow in God. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week.